Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10-season show. Today, we're talking about Season 4, Episode 31, Mr. Walsh Goes to Washington. Mary, what happened this week? The gang is setting up the CU carnival before they rush to go see Andrea at the hospital. Andrea is a little busy, though. She's surrounded by all of the doctors preparing her for a C-section. Baby Zuckerman Vasquez is born at 2 pounds 8 ounces. The first few days of baby's life are very difficult and very scary. Jesse is afraid to see the baby, but Andrea insists, falling in love with the sweet little thing at first sight. She wants to name her Hannah, but Jesse is too afraid of losing her to commit to a name. Steve and Kelly go to visit Jesse and Andrea and walk in on them fighting about how everything is wrong and nothing is okay. Andrea makes Steve take Jesse on a walk while she takes Kelly to go see baby. Kelly tells Andrea that she and Dylan broke up and she might go for Brandon because she got him to square dance that time. Andrea's like, go for it, I guess. Kelly is going to Washington, D.C. Steve and Jesse have a heart to heart over fruit cups. Jesse is overwhelmed at how quickly everything in his life with Andrea progressed and how scary it all is. Later, there's an emergency with one of the other babies in the NICU. I think that's what you call it. Um, but it isn't their baby. Jesse finally opens up to Andrea about his fears and lets her support him. Andrea and Jesse have to go home from the hospital without Hannah Zuckerman Vasquez, but they finally decorate her little incubator with her name. So I just realized before we talk about Andrea, they missed a prime opportunity to call this episode, Mr. Walsh Goes to Washington. <laughs> oh my gosh. Truly missed opportunity. <laughs> I, I know that like, this isn't really the show that does puns. They do play on words instead. But I just think about all the different like, TV shows now that really actually do fun things with their titles because people actually notice that now. So anyway. No, I, I like that a lot. I'm a little sad that it didn't happen. Maybe I'll just put that in the title of our podcast episode. I love it. Yeah. We'll help them out 30 years later. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we start this episode, um, I guess basically like right after the last one, right? Cause Brandon has been at the hospital and like everyone else was at the Mardi Gras carnival, but like, it's just a carnival, yeah. right? Like there's no Mardi Gras in it. No. Um, but yeah, they all have to rush the hospital go to go see everybody. And the first things we see at the hospital are, yeah, like Andrea is going in for this C-section and I really got to say like the biggest thing I took out of that first scene was that like I had the subtitles on it and you could see someone that was like talking her through what was happening and like this is gonna feel really cold because we're gonna put this on your stomach and like we're about to do this thing and like you're gonna go really numb and I just really appreciate that like she's very clearly going through a very traumatic experience and they're making sure like we're gonna keep you aware and like conscious of everything that is happening yeah for sure because I mean not only is she having to have a C-section, it's an early C-section, like a beyond early C-section. And C-sections, as we know, are major surgeries. So it's very risky on its own. Um, 
So it's good that they were talking you through and that there was like people there to do so. And it seems like there were a million people in there though. And I was like, this is not a sterile environment. Like why are there so many people around and like no covers and all the machines are just out there. And this is not like Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I definitely thought that I was like, not that I'm planning on having children, but this is too many people in this room. And like, I feel uncomfortable. Yeah. It was just crazy. I was like, man, not even Andrea and Jesse looked all that sterile. (laughs) I do really appreciate that they, like, tried to do some hospital stuff. But, like, yeah, very clearly, this is not Grey's Anatomy. And, like, it just felt like when later in the episode, Andrea's like, I'm getting really good at this washing thing. I was like, you barely wash your hands. (laughs) Yeah. It's just so crazy, like, just now thinking about other, like, pure medical dramas and stuff. And, like, I remember one time my brother was telling me about, like, what a surgical, or not a surgical room, that's not what it's called, it's an operating room, um, (laughs) what it actually is like. And he said it's the most boring thing in the world because it literally is the fewest people possible it has to be a sterile environment 100% of the time. If you walk out of it, there's a process. If you come back in, there's a whole process and like all this stuff. It's crazy. And so, but hey, we do what we can in 1994 <laughs> on a show that doesn't focus on medical stuff. And they did a good job because, like you said, I do like that they had people talking her through it. And it seemed like everybody had a purpose. Even though there's a million people there, they all had a purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, so all that's happening in the operating room. And then we come outside and Dylan is one of the first people there and he's getting coffee. Like everybody else comes rushing in. And then he and Kelly have this like really tense moment where he's like, Hey, do you want some coffee? And she's like, Oh, you're still talking to me. Uh, Yeah. And he's like, Oh, I thought we could be friends. And it's just awkward. Cause it's like, again, like we talked about last episode, Kelly even acknowledges, like, without the sex, what are we? And that even makes me think, are they even friends? Yeah, and I thought about that because, you know, this show, this whole thing, like, at this point, you know, I'm not saying anything bad about Kelly, but, like, the fact is that by the time she gets with Brandon, like, halfway through this episode, she has been with half the people in this friend group and, like, you know, her and Dylan had the whole thing where they went behind Brenda's back and I'm like, how are these people friends? How are any of you friends? I know it's baffling. And I think, I think you also said this last time. It's like, it's like we need more people. <laughs> we need to expand really the group. <laughs> it, yeah. Like it feels kind of like incestuous. It's weird. Yeah. And speaking of all the others, they show up to it's Donna, David, um, Steve, and Brandon and Kelly's like oh Brandon I thought you'd be on your way to Washington and for some reason he's like no I'm gonna blow off the task force I wrote that down too I was like Brandon why are you copying an attitude right now it was just weird that he said that and then wasn't like kidding I'm taking the red eye tonight Brenda had to be the one to be like no he's joking he's taking the red eye tonight and yeah like he's being all snarky to Kelly and I, I seriously feel like she's just sitting there being like, oh, I'm, I must have you. I mean, it's a spoiler like, for later, but the whole time, yeah, it's like she's like, Brandon, I adore you. <laughs> Jesse comes out. He tells them that 
Andrea's had the baby, the baby's in the ICU, Andrea's doing well, but no one can see her yet because she just came out of surgery, and, like, duh. Yeah. So everybody goes to leave, except Brandon, because, of course, Brandon stays. And, of course, Brandon gets to go in and see the woman that just had her stomach cut open. Like, no, she's tired. Go away. Yeah, she needs to rest, she needs to heal, she needs, like, space. But he is allowed to go in, and... Andrea just basically says, like, she hasn't been able to see the baby yet. She knows that she's, you know, fighting, da-da-da-da-da, how small she is. And Brandon's like, good things come in small packages. And they kind of just briefly talk, and that's it. Yeah. And, like, it's really interesting. You know, she makes that comment about not having seen the baby yet because they had to, like, rush it to the NICU, right? And then the next time we see them, like, Andrea and Jesse are talking about the baby. And Andrea's like, oh, I think we should name her Hannah. And Jesse's like, first of all, we shouldn't name her. Second of all, you shouldn't see her. I was like, Jesse, what are you doing? Like, I know he's scared and I'm trying really hard to be empathetic. But, like, you cannot keep a baby's mother from seeing it. Yeah. And that's the other thing, too, is, like, I know that. A, a man's experience a father's experience when they meet their own child or or when they see their wife give birth or what whatever the case may be I know it's transformative but the woman literally grew that baby in her belly for not hopefully nine months but sometimes shorter like in Andrea's case so they have even more it's not even just oh it's my baby I need to go see it it's like an a a literal need and an instinct and like there's been studies done about like the release of like oxytocin and all of that when a mother sees their baby and vice versa and things like that so it just goes back to the fact that Jesse's kind of always been a mansplainer yeah because that's the the nurse comes in with the wheelchair to take Andrea to the NICU to see the baby and Jesse's like let me talk to my wife Yeah, he's like, well, hang on. I know you're bringing the wheelchair, but let me tell her what she can and cannot do. Yeah, I was like, no. I'm sure, you know, the nurse has, like, bedside manner and, like, understands, like, these are new parents. They have to, you know, figure things out. But I do feel like she would be like, Andrea, as the mother of the baby, would you like to see it? Exactly. And I'm not trying to say Jesse's a bad person because, I mean, he's been, like, a rock for Andrea and – let's be real, like, this is a very, he even says it later to Steve, this is a very, like, whirlwind romance, and a lot of things have happened very quickly, so it's nice that he's been so willing to just jump right in, you know, feet first, but he's just, it it just kind of annoys me that he's always trying to, quote-unquote, do its best, but it just comes across as very much like, no, it's my way or the highway, I know what's right, nobody else does, you know, that sort of thing. And so it's just hard for me to completely buy Jesse right now. Right. And I think that's it. It's just really hard for me. And like, again, I, I'm not a parent. I don't have any intention of having kids. So like, I will literally never be able to experience this. I am the opposite of an expert on this. But like, Jesse's fears are really frustrating as an outside person. Yeah, it's like there's surface fears right now that are the most 
frustrating because the deep down fears, those are the ones, yeah, that makes total sense. Like fear that something's going to be wrong with your baby, that she may not make it. Like those are genuine fears. But the fact that he's afraid of something happening or that Andrea can't like, shouldn't see her. Those just don't make any sense. If, if, if nothing else, she should absolutely see her and see her now in case something happens. Exactly. And like, you know, I feel like, like we kind of speed through Andrea and Jesse. Like, I feel like everything that happens with them really happens fast. Like for this show being this episode particular being a two-parter and like kind of supersized, it does feel like there was a little bit of whiplash and everything was like, go, 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 go. Cause we have to wrap it all up. But yeah, like the next time we see them again, I think is when Kelly and Steve come to visit and they like, first of all, just walk in, <laughs> yeah. don't even knock. Mm-hmm. And Andrea and Jesse are like fighting. And Andrea is like, Jesse, you need to go take a walk. Mm-hmm. Like you just need to leave. Yeah. And I mean, that was the right call. Like sometimes you just need space. And luckily, like Steve was there. I I mean, I know he's not who probably would be the best in that moment of crisis, but like there's somebody there that he's not going off by himself and stuff like that. And then Kelly offers to help Andrea go see her baby. So there's a lot of good here because it's probably what they each needed was somebody that wasn't each other. And so... Um, hypersensitive to everything to kind Mm -hmm. of be more sensitive to what they're going through. Right. Because, you know, I can understand from either one of their perspectives, it just being really difficult to hear and understand the other's perspective because you're just so focused and so scared of what, what's happening in your own head. And so Kelly offering to go help her is exactly what uh, Andrea needed. Steve just kind of sitting down, getting a little bit of a snack and, just talking about stuff is exactly, I mean, we've seen Jesse be vulnerable with other guys, namely Brandon. So this is like the fact that he's doing so with another guy is also good. So. Yeah. I do wonder if him being vulnerable with Steve as well is probably part of the reason that he learns that he can be more vulnerable with Andrea. Yeah. Just like, Oh, I can talk about my feelings and like, you know, people are receptive of the way that I talk about these things and like, you know, they're talking about how great Andrea is. And like, I need to remember that too, because yeah, we've gone through this whole whirlwind thing and everything's been so fast. And who knew that this is what we're going to end up with at the end of this, you know, school year. And I think it's really helpful. And then, yeah, with the whole Kelly and Andrea thing, when Steve and Jesse first leave and Kelly is like, do you want me to help like wash your hair or give you a foot rub? I died. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> That's so sweet. Well, again, it's like an, a totally outside perspective, just being very attentive to what she needed without any, I guess, barriers. You know, she was like, I can just focus on Andrea because I don't have, like, I don't have this attachment. I don't have this fear. I don't have any of this. And she's, I mean, let's face it, we've always known that Kelly has kind of been Andrea's support system like out of all the other girls. I mean, Donna too, but um, Andrea was the, or Kelly was the first one that Andrea told that she was even pregnant or that she might be pregnant. So they've had that kind of bond throughout this whole season, which is fun to watch. Um, And Kelly even takes her mind off of what's going on for a bit too, because she freaking talks about Dylan and Brandon. So. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. The whole scenes, like after that, when like Andrea is like, Oh, come with me to see the baby. And then we have the scenes where like Andrea and Kelly are leaving um, the NICU and they're talking about how Kelly and Dylan broke up because they were tired of fighting. And Kelly's like, I'm better than okay. I think I'm going to go away for the weekend. And Andrea's just like, oh, yeah, you're going to visit our nation's capital? Like, this is weird, guys. <laughs> it's also weird just because, like, Andrea's always been in love with Brandon. And, like, I was a little worried that Andrea would be jealous, you know? Like, not even just because it's Brandon, but because it's Kelly can just take a trip to D.C. at the drop of a hat, go chase the guy that she wants. Yeah. And have that freedom you know and now Andrea like even Jesse had said at some point or Andrea was like are we ever going to get back to normal and Jesse said yes but it'll be a different kind of normal and Mm -hmm. I just worry that because that seed's been planted like maybe she's going to start thinking like that more and I feel like I harp on this a lot but it was really weird to me that Andrea just like brushed past the fact that Kelly is like, oh, yeah, I cheated on Dylan with Brandon. And now I want to go be with Brandon. Like she mentions that they kissed while she was with Dylan. It's like, and we're just going to breeze right past it. That's we're a good okay point. Be- of course, because it's Brandon. We all love Brandon. Well, that's true. And that's a good point. I didn't even th- I kind of breeze past it, too, because I forgot that she didn't tell. Who did she tell? Did she tell anyone? Yeah, she ends up telling Dylan because oh, right. that was the same weekend. It was the change partners. So That's like right. she did end up telling and like people did know about it. But like we still need to acknowledge this fact that like everyone just keeps cheating on each other and we're just like fine with it. And like, yeah, Brandon, when she shows up, isn't like, hey, you just broke up with my best friend yesterday. Yeah. And then we need we needed a little bit more organic um, belly, <laughs> right? Belly even sounds weird. Like I'm not sure I'm ready for that. Well, we used to call it brelly, so I just changed it to belly because I thought it was fun here. <laughs> no, I I do appreciate it. And then yeah, like on the other side of it with Steve and Jesse off having fruit cups. Jesse's like talking to Steve who we've never really seen him have a connection with. And he's like, I gotta be honest, man. I think I'm living a nightmare. Yeah. I was like, Oh my gosh. Luckily Steve just kind of one eighties and was like, Hey, at least you like your kid's going to know who her parents are. I'm adopted. <laughs> Which like so weird, Steve. And also Steve being like, yeah, Andrea is amazing. She's super smart. She's really dedicated. She's a great kisser. And Jesse's just like, you kissed my wife. <laughs> He's like, oh, is, um, yeah, it happened a, a long, long time ago. <laughs> like, that's the appropriate response. Is <laughs> him being like, you kissed my wife? Mm-hmm. Not everyone else being like, oh, of course you kissed Brandon. Go run off to across the country to be with him. Oh, you crazy kids. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Andrea is like mid-30s. She would be like, you crazy kids. I mean, literally, I was watching it with my headphones in, and Nate saw Andrea on the issues in the hospital room, and he was like, how old is she supposed to be? <laughs> 18. I know. I was like, she's like 19 at, at the oldest, and she's like, she looks 40. And I was like, she was pushing it. <laughs> yeah. She's mid-30s and pregnant. Yep. Yeah. God. Uh, yeah, I mean... 
after, I guess after like Kelly leaves and Steve leaves, so Jesse and Under are back together. They're going down to the NICU to see Hannah. Um, and I think this is the part where, uh, they hear like another baby has coded and they're like, I know this is really terrible to say, but I'm so glad that's not Hannah. And it's the first time that Jesse really breaks down with Andrea. Yeah. And, and basically he first says Hannah and he says to earlier, he had said to Steve, my daughter. And so it's like, he first acknowledged that Hannah, you know, really exists and is his. And then later, finally with Andrea, he, calls her Hannah and then Andrea kind of chokes up because he says her name and then yeah Jesse's finally like you know what I'm scared I don't want to lose her and yeah it's it's a good moment yeah and that's when like you know they found out that it's time for Andrea to leave the hospital like she's ready to go home but they can't take Hannah with them mm-hmm. and it's when they like go in I think it's the last scene in the hospital that you see with them is they go in to say goodbye to her and they brought her really big decorations for her incubator and they put her name on it and just a cute little happy family. It was great. It was it was a good ending to still a situation that's scary and unresolved, but it at least, you know, wrapped up a little bit nicely so we don't necessarily have to worry into next season is Hannah going to survive or not? Like, you know, we, we obviously still won't know for sure until it happens, but at least we're kind of given a little bit of levity and kind of like uplifting, like, Hey, we're going to be fine. And it's all good. Yeah. And I do appreciate that. They got someone to like be the NICU nurse to be like, yeah, she gained another ounce. She's not losing weight. Like she had that really like touch and go first 24 hours, but now she's just doing really good. Yeah. Like truly, I think this is what we need. Totally. Yeah, and then that's, it feels so weird to be like, that's season four for Andrea and Jesse. Like, it feels weird to me that we're on a season finale. And that's a wrap on Andrea Zuckerman and Jesse Vasquez. Mary, what else happened this week? Brandon waits to see Andrea before he takes the red eye to Washington, D.C. He sleeps on the plane and meets Chancellor Arnold right away, like as soon as he gets there. Oh, also Claire. And Lucinda's here too. What a nice surprise. (laughs) Brandon goes to his room to rest for a minute before he gives a speech to the task force that we'll never hear. It's apparently super moving, though. He thinks he's alone until the shower in his room turns on. Don't worry, it's just Claire being Claire. She tells him she's hanging out with him tonight. He seems to finally give in to temptation and kisses her before going to give his moving speech. He tells her not to go anywhere while he's gone. Brandon is applauded by the dean and the chancellor in the elevator, and then Lulu gets on board too. Dean and chancellor get off on their floor, but Lulu stays on and she's like, I'm going with you, buddy. She lists all of the fun places they've banged, like the kitchen table, the film editing room, the shower. You'll notice elevator isn't on that list. Hotel room (laughs) isn't either. Lulu just wants to be friends with Brandon's penis. Brandon tells Lulu he'd love that, but he can't because he's got someone in his room waiting for him. Brandon introduces Lulu to Claire, hoping to get at least one of these women off his back. Instead, Claire invites Lulu to dinner, where both of them stroke his inner thighs under the table. 
so many lingering shots of Brandon's crotch. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Brandon goes to the front desk and asks to change rooms and then dreams of Lucinda and Claire waking him up the next morning. Instead, Kelly shows up at his door with room service. They're really happy to see each other. They eat and then leave to go do sightseeing, catching the attention of Lulu and Claire on their way out, to, out the door. Lulu and Claire get breakfast together. Kelly and Brandon talk in bed about getting together, maybe. They both know they're probably going to make a lot of people mad, but Brandon wants Kelly to be there when he meets the president, goddammit. All it takes is one phone call to the chancellor, and it's done, because the chancellor loves Kelly. Brandon shakes Bill Clinton's hand. Thank goodness. <laughs> Seriously, I wrote in all caps, Brandon met the president. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, I mean, before like I even started the episode, I wrote... Here we are, season four finale. The stakes have never been higher. Will Brandon meet the president? And then I got into the, <laughs> the actual episode. I just, like, they built it up for so long. And every time something happened, I was like, this is what's going to make him not meet the president. Mm -hmm. No, this is what's going to make him not meet the president. Even, like, so when he leaves the hospital and he's home packing and Jim and Cindy do their, like, casual lurking in his doorway of like do you need anything from us and jim is just like so excited about brandon's political career i was like brandon's gonna do something like he's just gonna decide that he's not gonna go meet the president because of something jim said like i couldn't figure out what it would be but i was like they're making too big too big of a deal i mean you're right and like I still don't fully understand what the big deal was. Like, I understand, like, meeting the president's kind of a big deal. But I feel like there's a lot of opportunity for that if you kind of fall into it. Like, a lot of schools go on a field trip or you are really good in school or I don't know. I just – it just seems like a really, really huge deal. And, again, something that the writers were probably like, we're going to have him meet the president. And they're like, yeah, 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 go on, go on. And they just had to kind of like spitball and come up with something on the fly. Um, but thank God he, he freaking dead, man. I know. And like Jim and Cindy are so excited and Brandon's doing his usual like snarkiness back to his parents. Mm -hmm. And then they walk away and he turns to Brenda and he's like, oh, yeah, I don't actually want to go into politics. Right. Which also was just interesting because it always seemed like he did. Or yeah, at least I'm he's gonna... the ultimate like people pleaser or gem pleaser because he ran for school president. He almost ran for student body president for CU or something like that. And then, yeah, um, yeah now the task force thing. Yeah, no, I'm going to call bullshit on Brandon. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. I don't know if you're just tired from having spent the whole day at the hospital or like it's just the snarky brandedness coming out where he's like, I don't actually want to go into public. Yes, you do. Shut up. Yeah, exactly. And I will say this little twin talk, which wasn't like a big one, but just this little scene with Brandon and Brenda, it, it actually felt more like a real goodbye between Shannon and Jason than it did a twin talk. Yeah. I wrote that down. I was like, this feels like so much of a goodbye when like, Brenda doesn't know that she's leaving. Right. Yep. <clears throat> exactly. That's why it felt more between the actors than it did 
the characters, which I just thought was super, super interesting because I'm, I, I, I haven't really read up on the controversy and stuff like that more than just, you know, there were issues, but that makes me wonder, was she really close with Jason Priestley? You know, like, was that one of her main friends on the show? And that would have made sense. Yeah. I mean, I've kind of gone out of my way to not read about the controversy because I don't want it to like, you know, taint how I view this show. But I definitely do really want to like, I want to read Jason Priestley's autobiography. I want to read Tori Spelling's books. Like I want to see what all these actors have to say about their time on 90210. But like, I do want to wait at least until after Shannon Doherty's gone. Yeah, for sure. Um, Maybe in 10 years when we finish this podcast, (laughs) then you can start reading it. I know, right? 2030. Yep. That's when they go on the list. But yeah, so Brandon, for some reason, has decided he's going to drive himself to LAX and park his car and have to pay for overnight parking for three days rather than just let his parents drive him, which I don't understand. What was the point of that? Why do we have to know that? Yeah. Is his car going to get towed or something? I I really hope that there's something about, like, you know, he comes back at the beginning of next season with Kelly and, like, somebody sees him or, like, they yeah. try and hide it because both of their cars are, I don't know, whatever. That's a good point. But, yeah, I mean, he takes this red eye. Um, there's a bunch of establishing shots of D.C. Just to make sure you know, he made it to D.C. Thank God. And this is when like Brandon walks up and immediately interrupts the chancellor talking to someone because of course, Brandon's just that important. Yep. And like even his little comment that he slept the whole way there on the red eye. I was like, shut up, Brandon. No, you didn't. No one (laughs) sleeps on the red eye. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And he just like, you can tell he's in like impress mode, but also in flustered mode. (laughs) Yeah. And like, you know, speaking of flustered, the chancellor's just like, oh, by the way, Claire's been asking for you every five minutes. And she's there under the guise of looking at Eastern colleges, which, excuse me, ma'am, shouldn't you have decided on your school by now? I Now we know Beverly Hills really doesn't understand the concept of that. <laughs> they just don't know. And that's okay. Because they just know the audience doesn't care. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's fine. I truly I don't care but every now and then yeah it's just so funny to me that it is so obvious how little they care about timelines yep and then yeah not only is Claire there for no really good reason Lucinda is there for no good reason they literally never explain why she's there do they well they have one line where they say like she's meeting with somebody that I've forgotten and I didn't write it down about her documentary, like the NEA or something like that. But I don't even know if that's a real thing. So. I mean, it could be like national endowment of the arts. Maybe kind of a thing. Like I have no idea if that's in DC or if that's even like truly a thing or I just made up words. Yeah. Um, But like, what does that have to do with the education task force? Like why is she at this hotel? That's the thing. It's like, they mention why she's, in the city not at this location attending this task force and presumably there's other meetings and other maybe it's like a conference or something and they're part of it but like yeah yeah there's no reason and also if you're meeting with somebody 
professionally to discuss your film that you're trying to get backing for. Why are you basically wearing not a shirt? I wrote that. I said she's basically wearing nothing on top. (laughs) Because it's like just the one button. Like it was clearly like a little sweater that was supposed to go over like a camisole or something. Right. And no, it doesn't. No. Yeah, because I wrote that down. And then I wrote when like she comes over and is introduced to Claire and Claire's like, oh, yeah, Brandon took me to my prom. And Lucid is like, I bet he looked really good in a tux. And he goes, I didn't wear a tux. I wore a dark suit. (laughs) Why? How festive. It, It was so pointless. And like. Yeah, Brandon is clearly in flustered mode of like, I have to say something. I have to say something. It wasn't a tux, okay? It was tux-like. Yeah, just just make up something, Brandon. But thank yeah. God, in this hallway or rotunda or wherever we are, there's a photographer there to take a picture and document the fact that Lucinda, Brandon, and Claire were there at the same time. I know. Like, it's just so weird. And then, yeah, so... He, you know, goes to whatever events there are in the morning because he's shown up, like, right on time for them to start. And then he wants to go rest because of the time change. But he only has 30 minutes, which, like, doesn't even feel like it's worth the time to go up to your hotel room. Yep. But he gets up there and, like, this whole episode has me really concerned about hotel security. (laughs) Just every single person. Because Claire has found a way to get a key into his room. They also mentioned later in the episode about leaving their door unlocked. And I was like, that's not how hotels work. Right. They automatically but, lock. You literally would have to keep the door, like, cracked to leave yeah, it Yeah, you'd have unlocked. to, like, put the, like, little stopper in. Right. Yeah, but Claire has found her way into his room. And I guess has just been standing naked in the shower <laughs> until he gets there. Yeah, because she finally just, like, all of a sudden you hear... And the and the shower turns on, and you're like, "Huh?" And Brandon's like, "Who could that be?" And then he just like walks right on in to somebody clearly taking a shower in his hotel bathroom. And I'm like, no concern that he didn't get the wrong room. Exactly. He's just like, "Oh, all right. Well, let me check this out." And then somehow, because the shower door does not give you any indication if this is a man, if this is a woman tall short anything but he's like claire what you doing (laughs) and then after she's like you know they acknowledge that she's in there and everything and she convinces him to let her finish her shower he's like what would you have done if i came in here with your father why would you be bringing the chancellor to your hotel room (laughs) claire your father and i have something to tell you (laughs) i mean don't get me wrong. The way the two of them have acted this entire season, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. But, like, she's like, oh, I didn't think of that. And not like, but you wouldn't. Because why would you? Right. Exactly. Yeah, all she's just like, oh, well, I guess I didn't think of it, so whatever. Yeah, and then, essentially, she's just, like, prancing around wearing a robe. And, like, it's, I guess, understood that she's naked underneath. And he finally says he gives up. And they kiss. And I was like, am I supposed to be, like, I wouldn't be turned on by this if some guy was like, I give up. Yeah, I make jokes all the time to Nate. And I'm like, well, I finally wore you down, you know, and and it 
took forever, but I wore you down. And it's like, I don't really actually, like, I wouldn't be happy if that was a thing. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, it's very clearly a joke. And if it wasn't, we would be like, oh, yikes. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so he says that she wore him down. They kiss. He's like, don't go anywhere. Like, be here when I get back. And then he goes to give his speech which, you know, even Claire acknowledges, like, my father says it's going to blow the room away. And truly it does, because he's walking down the hallway and everyone is clapping for him. Just not even saying, like, hey, nice work, you know, Brandon or Guy or whatever. They literally applaud. Everyone. Like, he is walking down the hallway and just people are applauding him. And then he gets in the elevator and Dean and Chancellor also applaud him. It was just so funny. I was like, I don't think I've ever clapped at someone when the clapping wasn't appropriate. <laughs> Not just like. <laughs> I like next time it. you make a really good joke, Ariel, I'm not going to laugh. I'm just going <laughs> to clap. <laughs> but you have to do it like 20 minutes later. Right. <laughs> like next yes, time we have a that joke you told. Ten hours ago. Very funny. Next, next time we have a transition, I'm just going to be like. <laughs> you know what that's for. Yeah. Yeah. Like all these people are clapping. They're so excited. And then Lucinda gets in the elevator, which, by the way, it was so clearly a set because it was massive. Like, oh, yeah. It took me out of it how big the elevator was. And then Lucinda being like, you know, they've done studies about elevators. Right. She like talks about how people look at the numbers so they don't have to make eye contact. And Brandon's like, oh, really? Well, I look at the numbers to know what floor I'm on. (laughs) He's clearly so flustered and just like trying to come up with quippy responses. But they're so bad. They just were cracking me up. Like... Because, yeah, you can tell he's so, like, turned on his head about this whole situation. He's like, I don't know which way is up and down. Uh, Why? Like, literally, you can tell he is just like, why? I step in an elevator. I'm bombarded by Lucinda. I step into my room. I'm bombarded by Claire. I step out in the hallway. I'm bombarded by people clapping at me. Like, (laughs) DC was a mistake. You know, Brandon is just having a day. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I like Dean and Chancellor very clearly can see that there is something going on. And they just are like, this is my floor by. <laughs> yeah. And they leave Lucinda and Brandon. And like, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but when Lucinda walks up to him and gets like right up next to him, he is like same height with her versus when we've seen them together. When like he got out of the shower at her house, he was slightly shorter than her. I didn't notice. I literally, I wrote down, is Brandon wearing lifted shoes? He's slightly taller than Lucinda. <laughs> that would have made my day. Right? Like, I, I just feel like he was. I hope so. Because it's about damn time that he just, like, completely, like, leans into his shortness and just does what he can to be taller. Mm-hmm. But with Lucinda, he's, like, Lucinda's, like, trying to say, can't we be friends? And I'm like, girl, you were just as mad at him as he was at you. Like, why the sudden change of heart? But Brandon's just not even going to tolerate it. He's just like, you know what? I have someone waiting for me. 
And Lucian is like, yeah, right. And then there's Claire. Yeah, I feel like it just like literally does not make sense to me that Lucinda is so into him again and like thinks that this is going to work and that she literally follows him from the lobby all the way to his door to just try and like wear him down. I'm like, who, who are these people? Like this is, I feel like you can tell that these characters are written by like, no offense, kind of a writer's room of men to be like, these women, they're just throwing themselves at him. They won't take no for an answer. They're obsessed. And I'm just like, these are not realistic characters. You're right. And I didn't really think about it like that. I mean, because we've seen in plenty of shows, like women going after men. But like, I think about it sometimes when I see either shows or like true crime stuff or um, documentaries of some sort, like things like that. And I'm like, you don't really hear about the woman taking no for an answer. And I'm not trying to generalize. Like, I'm not trying to say all men do this or all women don't do this or or whatever the case is. But it's just recently I've been feeling like, huh, this seems to, like, happen kind of a lot where it's more the man that either doesn't take no for an answer or gets really, really offended when he's told no. I'm like, so this other podcast that I listen to has – this thing called the Buscemi test where when they cover like movies and TV shows and a man is being like really aggressive and like, won't take no for an answer and keeps stalking women. They're like, okay, replace this like super hot Brad Pitt, you know, Hollywood movie star with Steve Buscemi. Is this still the same story? No, Mm -hmm. it's creepy because he's no longer the hot guy. Like it's the same thing. If you put like not a hot woman pursuing Brandon like this like it's not it's not the same story and like they're doing it as a joke when like if a man was doing this to a woman on this show it would not be a joke it would be a very serious storyline like you know basically Lucinda follows him to his door he knocks on it Claire comes out which is the stupidest idea he could have had Claire invites Lucinda to dinner. Then they both sit on either side of him and just like rub his crotch at a table full of men. And yeah, if a wo- if a man did that to a woman, if two men did that to a woman at a table full of adults, no. I if mean, that, still no, but. Yeah, either way, no, because number one, I was highly uncomfortable. And I like kept like finding myself like kind of looking away and like looking at my notes to like, think of something anything else to say (laughs) but it made me really uncomfortable and yeah if the situation were reversed and again this is coming from a female perspective so I I, you know I have to put myself in that situation I'd be terrified I'd be like somebody's trying to hurt me you know this person's in trouble like this is bad no I, I like I hate to be like super serious and everything but like this is starting to really piss me off because this really isn't a joke. And like, they keep playing it off as a joke. And I'm like, this is very dangerous for Brandon, actually. I know. I know. It's not like a cute little situation. It's like, he's like actually being molested. Right. Yeah. 
And like, seriously, not only do they play it off as a joke, they put a camera under the table for them, like massaging his crotch for way too long. And I was like, as a viewer, I don't want to see this. That was kind of my thing. I didn't want to see it. Like yeah. do one, sh- one shot to establish that they both did the same thing. And like the, each women don't know that they're doing the same thing and show Brandon being uncomfortable. We get the point after that. Yeah. We get it. And then like, after dinner, they both lead in and are like, leave your door unlocked. I'll be there f- soon. And like Brandon has to go to the front desk and literally remove himself from the situation because he feels unsafe. Oh, man. And that really makes me feel for Brandon. And we all know how often I don't feel for Brandon. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I was like, <laughs> I talk shit about Brandon all the time. And even right now, I'm like, you in danger, Brandon. Like, yeah. And I mean... Thankfully, he does get himself into another room, which, by the way, was a suite. Can we acknowledge he went from, like, a standard hotel room to a suite? He got an upgrade because so many people who were applauding him decided to pay for him <laughs> to get room service in an extra in an upgraded room. Oh, my God. I'd believe it, truly. <laughs> but, like, they still are playing this off as a joke because in the suite, we see him, like, very clearly dreaming but he's dreaming about having just had a threesome with these two women. And they're talking about like how amazing he was and like, Oh my God, why did he keep talking about how love and intimacy need to go hand in hand? I was like, what is happening? Yeah. That was also very uncomfortable because like, I think it was forget who said it It was obviously either Lucinda or Claire, but one of them was like, he was mumbling about sex without love is meaningless. And when has Brandon ever thought that? Like, not that he's like sleeping around with everybody, but like, we don't ever know that that's actually what he's thought. Yeah. That was Claire saying it to Lucinda, which like, I guess was dreams. Brandon's dream. Brandon's projection of like, how the two of them are so very similar. Like he even says at some point, like you two should talk, you have a lot in common, but like his, you two should talk. You have a lot in common. Like the unsaid part of that sentence at the end of it is because you're crazy. Right. And then the, there's a knock on the door. That's what wakes him up. He's like totally freaked out about it. And then room service is there with Kelly Taylor. Kelly has shown up in DC. Like, and I don't know how to feel about it. <laughs> thank you. I, I had no words because it was like, what do I even say about this? Like, I just don't know what to do. Well, on the one hand, it actually seems like, and we kind of saw this in Change Partners, but it does seem like they have good chemistry because Kelly's a little gigglier that's not a word but like she giggles more mm-hmm. and it's kind of like you can tell she's less heavy you know she's lighter um than she was with dylan because remember dylan is mad bad and dangerous dangerous to, to know yeah brandon is not you know <laughs> he's just this short little boy scout yeah no brandon is supposed to be a boy next door Exactly. And Kelly is the girl next door. So you can see that there's definitely a change in mood. Um, 
And I think Mary said it in her synopsis too. It's like they're both really excited to see each other, which is kind of cute. Like even if we don't ship them yet, or we don't know if we ever will ship them because we don't actually know if this relationship is going to get off the ground or not. But at least they look happy to see each other, you know, and they're acting happy to see each other. Yeah. I mean, I will say like, it's, it's hard for me because she literally broke up with his friend maybe 24 hours ago. You know, he's talking about how these two women are like so crazy over him. And this one just like jumped a red eye to surprise him with like no luggage or anything. And like, I'm just like, Brandon is not that great that three women should be throwing themselves at him. But I will say that when he and Kelly do leave to go sightseeing and the whole scene that we have of them like outside talking about their relationship and old movies and whatnot is pretty cute, except for Brandon being like, oh my God, you've seen a movie? Yeah, there's a little bit of that like, I'm smarter and more cultured than you vibe going on. Yeah. Um... Which hopefully we won't see more of that. <laughs> you know we will. Yeah, I know. You just hope it's not with your girl, Kelly, you know, because it's almost kind of like the whole we've had to be told that Donna is really smart, you know. Kelly's probably really smart, too. Like, she's have you seen how dedicated she is to psychology? Because she freaking loves it. So. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, like, I it was just weird and there are like little things that he threw in of like Jim is his hero not Bill Clinton and it was like then Kelly's talking about how she's starting to feel feelings and it's kind of scary how like intense these feelings are together and like I appreciate that you know we get these scenes with their chemistry and they're talking of like this could be the real thing but I'm just like there are a lot of other things that we're just ignoring, like the fact that she broke up with Dylan like 24 hours ago. Well, and we don't actually hear uh, Brandon's perspective either. We just hear Kelly saying, like, I'm feeling all these feelings and it's hard for me to talk about them and, and come to terms with them. And Brandon doesn't really reciprocate, not in a way that makes me feel confident that he's feeling the same way. Um Because in the next scene, they just, they sleep together, so. Yeah, and, like, Brandon asks her after they've slept together if it's a lost weekend. I was like, I really wish y'all had, like, talked about that before. I mean, I don't know when they would have fit it in for us to see it, so maybe they did talk about it. But I was like, it's weird that you guys slept together and then you're like, is this going to be a thing? Well, and to that point, maybe it was Brandon kind of coming to terms of fact with the fact that he's feeling real feelings now, you know, and he's like, well, wait a minute. Maybe at first he was kind of thinking in his head, like, well, she's got these deep feelings. I don't know where I'm at yet. And then them sleeping together kind of made him think, well, wait a minute. Now I know where my head's at and I do have these feelings. So let me just double check. I don't know. I mean, you're right. I I do wish we would have kind of had a little bit of a talk out before they just jump into bed, but you know, The heart and, you know, what's in your pants wants what it wants. (laughs) Very true. And I mean, like, it it is cute, the, like, kind of romantic gesture, sweep off your feet kind of, like, thing that Brandon's like, oh, I'm going to go meet the president tomorrow. And, like, I desperately want you there with me to the point that it's the middle of the night and I'm going to go wake up the chancellor to be like, 
Kelly Taylor showed up. Can you get her security clearance for the White House? <laughs> Which, no, that's not how that works. <laughs> yeah, it's not just like having a VIP wristband. <laughs> yeah, like there is actual like security clearance that has to happen, not just like pretty blonde. Mm-hmm. And also middle of the night calling the chancellor. Right. But of, but of course he answers. Of course it's, you know, because it's Brandon. It's a done deal. Don't even worry about it. All good. So, and then, yeah, like that's when Kelly says, Brandon, I adore you. Ugh. Gross. I Which know. like, I mean, poor Kelly, like has been in this really unhappy relationship for, you know, however long they've been unhappy. It's definitely been a while. Cause you know, we've been ready for them to break up. So, like, for as much as I talk about how it feels really rushed, like, probably in Kelly's mind, that relationship hasn't been good and it was easy for her to move on. Sure. But, like, this whole, like, oh, Brandon, I adore you because you did, like, this one nice thing to me where, like, Dylan's been spending all this time with his sister. Luckily, Brandon's sister is leaving and will never come back, so we don't have to worry about her. Right. And... I think to that point, too, like, Kelly is finding that Brandon's listening to her. Brandon is caring that she's there and not caring why she's, like, why she's running away from Beverly Hills or or, um, wherever, L.A. You know, she's doing the things and, I mean, he's doing the things and saying the things that Dylan didn't say and do. Um that Kelly had to beg for basically and still didn't get. So I'm not saying that Brandon's better than Dylan, but I'm saying in this moment and you know, the last 12 hours or however long it's been, Kelly's getting what she wanted out of a relationship and she's not even in a relationship yet. So. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I definitely just worry that like, this is a honeymoon period and they're like dangling this in front of us. Yep. No, I totally agree. Yeah. But I mean, like, wrapping up Brandon Kelly does get the clearance so she's in the audience when he goes to meet the president and like we don't actually see him do it because I presume that Fox could not convince Bill Clinton to come on 90210 but we do see Brenda sitting with Jim and Cindy at home watching him on like it's called like White House TV, but it's basically C-SPAN mm-hmm. and like it's literally just lingering shots of Cindy and Jim being like yeah, that's my son, and nodding and, like, covering their mouths. And then same thing at the freaking Peach Pit where Nat has turned it on, being like, yep, that's my son. (laughs) One line. Nat always has to have his one little scene. Mm -hmm. And then they also do that thing where they make everything of, like, Brandon didn't come from money, so he's better and he earned it because I don't remember who says it, but it's like you donate $100,000 you get to shake the president's hand and then Nat's just like, but he earned it. He didn't pay for it. Exactly. Of course. Maybe he didn't, but like, or maybe he like didn't just use money, but that doesn't mean that he's more eligible, you know, like, or should be celebrated. I I, I don't know. Stop. I'm stop doing like Midwestern values. And like Brandon doesn't have money. Jim, has a very good job and they're paying for three people to go to college at the same time. They are comfortably upper middle class. Get over yourselves. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Brandon got to meet the president. Thank God. Thank 
God. And now we don't have to stress out about it because it's happened. It's done. It's over with. <laughs> I mean, I guess to be fair, this show is around long enough that there is another president that we could worry about. Oh my God, you're so right. <laughs> Will Brandon meet the next president? <laughs> Will he just always join a random ass task force where he gets to keep meeting presidents? He's going to be like 30 in the TV show and meeting a president. <laughs> I'm still on a task force. (laughs) He's just never leaving CU because he's peaked. Yep. Uh, Yeah, Brandon met the president. And I guess Brenda does stuff too. Yeah, let's let's get a nice little wrap up for our girl Shannon Doherty. Roy wants to see Brenda before he leaves town. He invites her to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts in London over the summer. Thanks, Roy. You actually kind of don't suck right now. (laughs) Apparently, Brenda's been working for Jim this whole time, and she saved all of her money, too. All she needs from Jim and Cindy is a plane ticket to start her new life. Brenda wears the cutest pair of shorteralls to get jealous, seeing how how proud Jim and Cindy are of Brandon for shaking hands with Bill Clinton. Also, she sees Kelly there. Brenda goes to see Dylan and tells him why she's going to London. She asks if Dylan believes in her, and he does. She tells him she loves him and that she never stopped and never will stop. Dylan says he will applaud her from afar, and she asks him to give her something to come back to, and then they kiss. Who, Brenda? I... All I wrote down for Brenda this episode, and I feel bad about it, is basically just, like, goodbyes and then the Dylan stuff. Yeah, because, I mean, literally the first goodbye we see is with Brandon, but then she has to immediately leave, you know, from there to go meet up with Roy, where, you know, he talks to her about this summer program, and that's that's great. That's a great excuse and a great reason uh, or a great send-off for this character. It makes perfect sense in the plot. It is not an assassination of character. It's not a literal assassination of the character. <laughs> so I'm cool with it. I'm cool with this send-off. It, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, and I mean, like, she handles it pretty maturely and, like, goes to see Jim and Cindy the next morning and says, like, hey, all I have to do is buy a plane ticket. And by the way, you don't have to pay for it. I have all this money, which, yeah, she mentioned she's been working for Jim this whole time. And I was like, I legitimately forgot she ever worked for Jim. It's been so long. I know. I thought she just had that job for like two weeks. Yeah, I assumed when she got engaged that she stopped working. Yeah, same. But then like Jim and Cindy basically sign off on it and say they have a lot of faith in her. And I was like, I don't totally get that. Like that feels like a change of character for them. But it's a really good send off of them being like, yeah, we're totally on board with you. You're taking things seriously. Like you can go. Yeah. It was more of the support than the faith. Right. Because like, I would have believed it had Cindy said it and Jim would have said like, we support you or something, you know, but the fact that he said he has faith in, I'm like, nah, you can't play us like that. But it was nice though to, to hear that because I, you know, Brenda needed to hear that. And even a little bit later, Cindy is helping Brenda bring in her trunk to get it all cleaned up to fit everything in it. And even Cindy talks about how, like, Brenda is the one who takes the risks in the family. That's been her personality forever. Um, and you can you can hear a little bit of jealousy 
uh, coming from Cindy because she's only lived like yeah. she got married so young. She had Brenda and Brandon so young as well. And she's only just now going back to school. So, I mean, I doubt we'll hear anything about that again, but it, it's like a nice little mother daughter moment to kind of seal it away. Yeah. And then I think, no, because she has the scene where they're watching Brandon meet the president on TV is the last scene that you have with her and Jim and Cindy, but like they don't actually talk. So I do feel like this is a pretty good, like true goodbye that we'll get Mm -hmm. to see with Brenda and Cindy. Agreed. But then she goes to the Mardi Gras carnival and is telling Kelly about London. Like Kelly's telling her about neighborhoods to live in. Donna comes over and talks about things that we'll get to when we get to Donna. And like the three of them get to have like this cute little scene together. And it's the last time that Brenda and Kelly talk. And of course the last time that Brenda and Kelly talk, they're talking about how they both, lost the guy that they were having sex with and oh by the way both of those guys were dylan and now they're back where they started and ha 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 it's so strange it's so strange because just like you said in the beginning how are these people still friends like that rings true definitely in this scene but also i'm like well damn if kelly taylor nor brenda walsh can keep dylan mckay who the hell can because like eat like they both say like sex couldn't keep Dylan McKay or whatever. And yeah. Because like the reason Brenda and Dylan broke up is because he wanted to have sex with Kelly, basically. And then the reason <laughs> he and Kelly broke up was because all they did was or all they had was sex and that wasn't enough. It's baffling. It's almost like Dylan should date someone that has things in common with him. Right? Who would have guessed? Who would have thunk it? But I mean, I guess speaking of Dylan, like he later on that day shows up at the carnival with Erica and like Brenda joins up with him and they like spend the day together. You see them that night and they're like, they have all these stuffed animals. They like went through a fun house together. Like Brenda is truly acting like an older sister for Erica. And then Erica goes off because she wants to dance with a cute boy that she sees in line. And Brenda makes Dylan get on the Ferris wheel so they can talk about the metaphor of their relationship. Literally. I'm like, writers, you're supposed to let the audience figure that out. <laughs> and like, I just, it's so weird to me. Like, if, you know, I was dating someone and then I broke up with them. And then like two years later, they're like, hey, get on that Ferris wheel with me so I can talk about the ups and downs of our, our romantic relationship. I'd be like, No. Yeah. (laughs) I don't. Yeah. Right. You know, I can't even form work. Like, yeah. It's all just so weird because, yeah, she has this like whole thing with him. They get like really close and like he's put his arm around her when they get off the Ferris wheel. And then after watching Brandon meet the president on the not C-SPAN she shows up at Dylan's house and like, yeah, basically professes her love to him. And like, I mean, truly, I feel like the writers were like, all right, we're going to put Brenda and Dylan back together is like the very last thing that you're going to see with Brenda. And I'm, I'm totally okay with getting to see it. But at the same time, like, just date other people. 
Well, and they kind of put you on a string, too, because you know they're not going to date over the summer because Brenda has committed to this program. And we don't know Dylan's summer plans, but, like, he he's not going to follow her to London. Like, that, they wouldn't do that. And no. the only thing I will say is, like, at least it was a little true to character for both of them because, truthfully... Dylan really has been the one to always support Brenda and believe Brenda and have faith in Brenda. So all of these things that people are telling her, you don't quite believe and it doesn't quite land until Dylan says it. So mm-hmm. I guess on that hand, on that side of the coin, it's like, okay, sure, sure, sure. I get why you guys would come back together, but I don't see the point. Yeah. Like the last time she went to Europe for the summer was when he cheated on her and broke up with her to be with Kelly. So like, yeah. And we know she's not coming back. Like, I feel like they had probably announced at this point that Shannon Doherty was not coming back. I I don't know. Um, but yeah, they're like dangling this in front of us. And I was like, I mean, I guess it's a good send off because, yeah, like Dylan's the one that's always believed in her. But like, we can at least acknowledge that it's goodbye. Sure. I would really appreciate if we had acknowledged that it was goodbye. Oh, man. But yeah, good goodbye, Brenda Walsh. Goodbye, Brenda Walsh. We loved you so much. We'll never forget her. It's going to be weird without her. It's it really going to be so is. weird. I feel like there's at least going to be like half of season five where I'm going to be like, you know what Brenda would have done right here? Well, I'm telling you, like, even though Brenda wasn't the villain of this show because, like, there really is no villain... She kind of was, you know, like if yeah. this show had a villain, it'd be her in some way. So they do replace quote unquote, a bad girl with a bad girl, which I'm excited for. But it, it's it's just still going to be so different because I I know she was only in four seasons, but I can't think of this show without her. So, yeah, I mean, like she's really like. I don't even know what to say. She's she's truly an important part of this cast. And I feel like as people start falling off of this show, like, you know, I know at some point Jim and Cindy leave. I know at some point Luke Perry leaves. I know at some point uh, Jason Priestley leaves. Like, as people start falling off the show, it's going to be weird. Mm-hmm. And, like, who knows? Maybe by then we'll have introduced enough new characters that I won't think it's so weird. But, like, after eight seasons with someone, if they leave, I'm going to be like, I don't know what to do without them. Totally. Yeah. Totally agree with that. Yeah, it's it's going to be a weird couple of weeks getting used to Brenda not being there. And I hope they, like, do it right and, like, still kind of mention her every now and then and at least acknowledge that she's still alive. Agreed. I hope so, too. Yeah. Our girl Brenda. Off to bigger and better things. That's right. I hope she has a very lucrative acting career. Hey, what happens with Donna and David this week? David does sound check over a carnival montage. Afterward, he and Donna go to the stage to meet Babyface, but a disaster happens. Babyface's second keyboardist is late and they need David to fill in for sound check. He's so good that Babyface is just like, fuck that other guy, play in my band tonight. David tells Ariel and hugs her about it instead of Donna. 
Donna's worries over David and Ariel are completely valid, but her friends tell her not to be jealous because David loves her or whatever. She catches David buying an buying Ariel a chili dog. Ariel asserts her dominance by taking a huge bite of it. <laughs> David was supposed to meet up with Donna after lunch, but he doesn't catch up with her until like sundown. Hmm, where has he been? Oh, around doing carnival stuff with the bros, just lost track of time. Deshaun is in the dunking booth and David can't throw, so Donna knocks Deshaun in the water because she can throw. I wish she would use that arm to throw David in the trash. <laughs> David plays second keyboard for Babyface, who actually does like a smooth R&B kind of thing with the coolest woman I've ever seen playing a saxophone. I'm sure I would have known all of this if I had Googled him last week. Ariel watches David all smiley from backstage. Donna can't find David after the show. The stage manager, or the music equivalent of that, tells her he's either in the dressing rooms with Ariel or a limo with Ariel going away from here. Brenda and Donna split up to find him. Donna finds them, seemingly about to hook up in the back of a limo. But then Donna finds a condom wrapper, meaning they just got done, apparently. Donna's fucking distraught. Brenda comforts her and lets her sleep with Mr. Pony. Donna and Brenda tell each other they love each other, and that's cute. Donna confronts David at the beach house, and David confesses, The time she caught them wasn't the first time. She kicks David out of the beach house. Okay. The whole time you kept saying the name Ariel, I was like, motherfucker. <laughs> I was so mad. I was like, I was so happy last episode that not only was there a character named Ariel, but David was like, oh yeah, my girlfriend Donna, and like showing all this growth. And now I'm just like, David, you made me look stupid. I mean, he made all of us look stupid because we were so pro David last episode because he turned down meth and not just turned down meth but turned down people who had meth or were connected to it and we thought he was done with Ariel too yeah and then like this episode she you know comes up to him about this sound check and like Donna is definitely looking like really jealous and like skeptical and everything and I don't know why I didn't trust Donna's intuition I feel like she has never led us astray before true and, like, I was definitely just, like, Kelly and Brenda being like, no, you can't have sex with a guy to make him stick around, but David loves you, and this is going to totally work, and, like, don't worry about it. Like, I was totally on their side of things, and then she was right, and he's a dirtbag, and this Ariel gives all Ariels a bad name. <laughs> that <sighs> she does. That she does. Because, like, that's the thing, too, is, like, I understand... If, I mean, I don't ever understand cheating, but I understand a situation more when it's like the person you're cheating with doesn't know that you're in a relationship. You know what I mean? Because then at least it's like, you had no idea, right? But Ariel literally met mm -hmm. Donna last episode, last week or a couple of days ago or however long. No, it was yesterday. It was yesterday, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Because... Brandon just, he took the red eye. <laughs> Guys, Ariel, wait, how long have they been, they've been screwing around if they met yesterday? I'm pretty sure just after lunch. <laughs> well, yeah, because that power move. Oh, my God. I'm more mad now. Because it I'm was so, yesterday. And, and yeah, like, 
See, I guess after lunch and after she like made eyes with him while being like, look how far I can shove a hot dog into my mouth. They like went off and were really gross. And then David's just like, oh, I've been busy all day. Come on, I'll go buy a root beer, Donna. And I was like, even now, I was like, oh, he wants to buy her root beer and just hang out with her. And I'm so mad that they just like did this to me. Now that I've kind of put the puzzle pieces together, (laughs) including the timeline, how did he have the time? (laughs) And like, ugh. Because like right after this is when we find out that Babyface's second keyboardist, because apparently to play a Mardi Gras carnival at a university, he's bringing two keyboardists. (laughs) Uh, but the guy doesn't show up. David like steps in for sound check and ends up getting offered like, Hey, play the whole gig with me. And then Ariel runs up and hugs him while Donna and Steve are standing down there. And Steve is even just like, "Mm, that's weird. I think he even says something like, who's that saucy vixen drooling all over David. Yeah. It's something like that. And like, (laughs) even Steve could see it. And Steve is like, the gross boy so we should trust steve oh a hundred percent there was one thing funny though is like right before the second like david gets to step in and do the sound check donna's like freaking out over what to call baby face i love that part she's like what do i call him baby face mr baby mr face She's so adorable. And then he's like, oh, well, he has a real name. And she's like, that gives me more options. (laughs) I love her. She's so sweet. She's so sweet. And she doesn't deserve this dirt bag. Because after the set, she goes to try and find him. And as soon as they were like, well, he's either in a limo or in a dressing room. I was like, neither of those are places he should be hanging out. Well, that's the thing. It's like, okay, why would they, A, be in dressing rooms together, or B, be in a limo together, and where would they be going? If they had said, like, the limos were going to an after party or something, that would at least make more sense. But no, they just said they're either in the dressing rooms or the limos. Yeah, they're just hanging out in a limo. At which point, like, I mean... They spelled it out for you. They're in the back of a limo that's parked, not going anywhere. They're obviously doing it. And then, like, there's a whole scene where poor, sweet, innocent Donna is just like, well, the door is locked. Let me in. Which, like, a little too innocent for her, but whatever. A little bit, yeah. And it takes her, like, actually getting in the limo to, like then put two and two together like because she even gets in the limo and sees ariel and is at first like oh what's going on and then she has to see the condom wrapper not their state of undress that finally like and the locked door and that david wouldn't roll down the window yeah and and she runs away and he tries to run after her and i'm like no boy you done messed up yeah like Like, physically, you're disgusting. Not even just the fact that you cheated on your girlfriend. Who stuck with you during the meth? Ugh. That's the thing, too, is, like, 
clearly it was never about Donna. No. It's about David being a dirtbag, and he's always been a dirtbag, and he's always been so mean to her. Well, and, and like... And just, like, the... The idea that, like, truly all David can think about was sex. And that makes me think that he only got back together with Donna while she stood by him because that was going to give him leverage to make her sleep with him until he found somebody else that would. Yeah. And I mean, like, when Donna goes back to Casa Walsh with Brenda and she's so upset and, like, she confirms, like, I wouldn't have actually slept with him to keep him. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, oh, my God, thank God. Because, like, if all of this had happened, and, I mean, we know David's cheated on her before. He cheated on her while she was in France. Right, right. Um, But, like, if he had been this big of a dirtbag to her and consistently mean to her and constantly shaming her for not wanting to have sex with him, and she did have sex with him and then found out that he had been cheating on her... Like, she'd be ruined. You cannot forgive that character for that. I mean, she even says, like, if I ever forgive David, it'll never be the same. Or, yeah, even if I do forgive David, it'll never be the same. And I was like, do not forgive him. Yeah. Do not. Well, and it's so sad because she kind of confirmed what I was thinking. And she literally says, he will always want what I can't give him. And that's just so sad, right? Like, because, you know, she really loves him and she wants to be with him, but he he can't get over this. Clearly, he couldn't get over this and didn't get over this. Which is, like, truly, I use the word dirtbag like 15 times, but, like, I don't have a better one. He's dirt. Well, and it's even worse. He doesn't help his case because later on when they're arguing at the beach apartment, Donna just wants him to leave. And then he has the audacity to say, it was right in front of me. How was I supposed to say no? Yeah, I tried to be faithful as hard as I could. I was like, no, because trying to be faithful as hard as you could is being faithful. Yeah, that's what I don't understand about cheating. It's like, I tried really hard. It is not hard to be faithful. Like, yeah, I'm literally sorry. just don't like, do it. Yeah, like, if something is tempting you, walk away. Like, I can understand if it's, like, a literal, like, substance abuse or, like, drugs, alcohol, like, even food and stuff. There's, you know, a lot of people are food addicts and things like that. But a relationship with a human being? And when you say you love. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. And when you say you love and you try so hard to get back and, like, all this stuff. I just don't get it. I don't understand how you can hurt someone so deliberately like that. Just break up with them. Like if you're not happy and you feel like you are ready to cheat and you, you're like, yeah, this is what's going to happen. Break up with the other person first, because I guarantee that person that you're going to cheat with will still be there. Yeah. And like, even while they're fighting at the beach apartment, he says, I know this is probably the end of us. And I was like, probably. Yeah. What do you mean? Probably. And, like, how little do you think of Donna that she is going to take you back after this? And she even, like, makes him say, was this your first time? And he says, no. And I was like, I mean, at least you're being honest. But, like, bruh. Ew. Well, like. 
Yeah. And then even right after that, he's like, you're not even, uh, Donna says, you're not even sorry. You're just sorry you got caught, which true. Absolutely. He would never have told her. No, he would have tried to have his cake and eat it too. And try to keep dating Donna and, and quote unquote, being faithful to her while going and banging whoever. Because at this point, it doesn't really matter that it's Ariel. It could be anyone. Yeah. Like, we might never see Ariel again, but we know that David's going to go sleeping around. Yep. Especially now that he's done it. Like, now that he's no longer a virgin, like, what's stopping him? And, like... (sighs) I just, that whole obsession about losing your virginity that he had, like, was it great? Was it worth it? Yeah. Like, probably not. Was it so awesome? (laughs) No. I hope it wasn't. Oh, I hope it was terrible. And I hope he feels, like, just sick to his stomach forever. And now he has to find somewhere new to live and good. (laughs) Yeah. with it. Well, and that's what's so interesting, too, is, like, this is one of the few stories where we actually get closure um, out of the season finale like I actually feel like now we have more questions than we did coming into this episode which is hilarious but like <laughs> Brenda we get closure on and I feel like David and Donna we get closure on because we know they broke up right like that yeah we know that but like even like the Dylan situation that we're about to get to but also Dylan with Brenda there's not really a lot of closure there with Brandon and Kelly there's not really closure because we're like are they is this actually going to be a thing or not you know, so it's actually pretty interesting that about half the storyline so far, we don't know what's going to happen. Oh, and like, I swear to God, now that you say that we don't have closure on anything but this, like, if we don't have closure on this and somehow they're going to get back together next season, I will flip a table. <laughs> and I, like, I wouldn't blame you. I would help you. But yeah, as as far as we know, that closes the chapter on Donna and David who have been together for like three years or something. Mm-hmm. And like, honestly, good riddance. Sayonara, sucker. We, we couldn't even come up with a good ship name with them. They were doomed. Exactly. Oh, now it should be Deshauna. I know it won't be, but it should be. God, I wish it was. Even in this episode, they had like crazy chemistry. Exactly. They were so cute. Yeah. No, good riddance. Donna and David won't miss it. And unfortunately, that means that it's time to talk about Dylan. Cool boy. Let's go. Besides the fact that all of the girls get along so much better without him, Dylan and Kevin have a meeting with Jim and a team of investors who want to get behind Kevo's business. The numbers are big and neither of them really understand them. But for some reason, Kevin is like, let's cut the other investors out and just make all this money ourselves. Never mind that they don't know what they're doing by themselves. Dylan takes Erica to the carnival. Erica sees a cute boy, and Brenda and Donna, being acquainted with his older sister, give her an excuse to meet him. While they're doing that, Brenda and Dylan ride the Ferris wheel, a metaphor for their relationship. (laughs) It goes up, everybody's happy, they cheat on each other, it crashes to the ground, and then they do it again. (laughs) Brenda tells Dylan she might go to London this summer for acting. Dylan and Kevin decide they're going to go ahead with their stupid plan. Dylan goes to break the news to Jin, and Jim fires him as a client. Dylan goes with Kevin to a bank, I guess, and basically signs over all his money into this new business account. They hug because business and family and stuff. After Dylan drives off, Kevin meets Suzanne in the parking lot. They talk about taking care of Erica and making a little withdrawal. 
The next time we see them, they're in the airport taking Erica with them to Brazil to look at a laboratory. That's in air quotes, by the way. (laughs) Erica says she has to pee, but really she's writing a note on a little piece of paper and she sticks it to the stall door with gum, but the gum doesn't hold the note and it falls on the ground. So we'll talk about what happens after that in season five, I guess. Oh boy. Well, at least we got semi-closure on this one, but not... You know, like we, like we, now we know that there was a con this entire time. But now what we don't know is what's going to happen with Erica. It, will she die? Is she even Suzanne's? Like, oh boy. I, I was definitely wondering that. I was like, oh my God. Because, like, after they sign the paperwork and then Kevin goes over to Suzanne's car and they're like, all we have to deal with is Erica. I was like, are you going to kill her? It's like that scene in Parks and Rec when, um, Tom has a little puppy and brings it up to Ron and he's like licking his mustache and stuff and Ron's like all right you need to take him outside and Andy's like and shoot him (laughs) (laughs) but like seriously I was so nervous about this child and like what kind of a shitty mother are you that you like cooked up this whole scheme got her involved in it and now you're just gonna drag her to Brazil and have to like what lie to her for the rest of her life until she figures it out i just have to say i uh i would like to state my official apology to erica i don't remember your last name steel i guess i guess so uh because i thought you were crazy for thinking that kevin and suzanne said that you were moving to south america i was wrong and i apologize you're moving to south america Like, okay, I feel like we just need to, like, get into it because I do (laughs) want to talk about the Erica stuff, honestly, more than anything else. Because, like, the first thing we see is Jim talking money whatevers. I didn't even write it down. And then Kevin and Dylan are like, oh, my God, that all went so over our heads. Were you overwhelmed? And for some reason, Kevin's like, yeah, that's, you know it really sounds like everyone's chomping at the bit and this is such a good idea and we should just cut them all out. But you don't understand what he was just talking about. Exactly. And this is still before we know what actually is going down. So we're just like, hold on, this is a really dumb business move. And Dylan doesn't know. He's none the wiser because he doesn't know either. Yeah. And then like, like we skip ahead because Suzanne and Kevin have gotten married and Kevin and Dylan are talking And it's more comments about, like, Dylan's dad and Kevin being like, oh, yeah, I heard he was, like, some great guy and whatever. And, like, Kevin's definitely trying to, like, still play into this role of Dylan's dad and then, like, talks again about how they need to cut out all the rest of the investors and, like, keep it in the family. Right. And And then, speaking of, it's like, when Dylan gets to the carnival with Erica, um, Kevin and Suzanne are not there, but Jim is there trying to push Dylan to close the deal and Dylan kind of keeps like pushing him off trying to delay things whatever whatever which of course makes Jim upset because number one Jim has a lot riding on this number two Mm -hmm. Dylan was the one that called for all these rushes to get investors together and to hear the proposal and to do all these meetings and stuff because apparently they're moving to Arizona quote quote but so he's getting frustrated so now there's all this tension between Dylan and Jim, which there always has been, but even more so now. And Dylan's kind of like in the middle because he's fully on team Kevin, which 
I just wanted to keep yelling at Dylan on like from the couch because it's like, you're so naive. Stop acting like a child. And then I'm like, wait a minute. He is a fucking child. He is. He doesn't know any better. Yeah. And like, that was the thing that was bothering me about Kevin constantly like bringing up his dad and acting, you know, like, oh, those are my girls. And Erica, she's my daughter. And like, you know, playing this whole like family card with Dylan because he is a kid. He is manipulatable, manipulatable, malleable. I don't know. You know, like he is able to be manipulated. Um, and like Jim has been there and is like kind of actually a pretty good father figure and has proven that he's actually able to take care of Dylan and like provide him good advice and all this stuff. And Dylan is just pushing him away and looking for, you know, reasons to fight with him. And I mean, even later when he finally comes over to tell Jim that, they're backing out of the deal with the investors and they're going to go into it. Just the two of them, like Jim is furious and fires him. And Dylan's just like, it's about time. Right. Like bridges completely burned here for yeah. no reason. Or well, I mean, for a reason, but it's like, guys, put your pride away here. And like Jim has been around for four years and like, he has been your money manager and like he has been the one backing you up. And these people, you know, Suzanne says she's been cooking this up for eight months. So like top Suzanne has been in his life for eight months. Kevin, you know, a month, maybe two. Mm-hmm. Like, and he's just, yeah, burning all of these bridges for people he doesn't even know. And that's what's so crazy and why I keep going back to the fact that like, Dylan's so naive and stuff because he's always had this sore point with Jim of Jim thinking what's best for Dylan and Dylan wanting control, but then realizing he can't control it because he is naive and this is a lot of money and like, I can't be in charge of it. So I need your help and like all this kind of stuff. So now I'm like, what's your deal now? Like why now? And I think it is like you said, because like Kevin's trying to assume this father figure. So Dylan doesn't need Jim anymore. Dylan's got it covered with Kevin here. Yeah. And I mean, like he, even when they go to sign the paperwork, like, you know, we don't see exactly how much money is being transferred. Um, like what the whole deal is, if this is a joint account that's connected to Dylan's account, or if he's like signing Kevin to like, have control over his account and be able to withdraw money. Like we don't know the deal, but in that scene, like, you know, they're talking about how it's all in the family. Like Dylan brings Kevin in for a hug after they sign the paperwork. And you can even see that they are like dressed almost identically. And like, I have to think that that is kind of the costume department, like putting that together of like, Kevin is literally like scamming him. He is inserting himself into Dylan's life to be his dad, to, you know, have Dylan be like, I can see myself in you. I can see us being in a relationship, like literally the point that they both wear the same khakis. <laughs> right. You know what it kind of made me think of, like, as you were talking about that, is the episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine where they um, are trying to get the uh, Captain Holt to the commissioner's interview. And they stop by and spend the night at one of Boyle's, like, family houses. And they all needed to shower and change clothes but they had so they had to borrow the boils clothes and so they're all dressed in like the khakis and the earth tones and <laughs> it 
all beige and all that. Oh, it's so hilarious. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's a thing. It is an actual thing mm-hmm. that like, you know, every single move that Suzanne and Kevin have made this entire season is calculated and they have planned everything out culminating to this point, even to the point that like Dylan's like, Hey man, you know, I got nothing to do for the rest of the day. I'll drive down to Orange County with you to look at the property. And Kevin is just like happy, bright, like, no man, don't worry about it. I'm going to go check it out. If it's good, I'll call you and you know, we'll get things going. Like, right. It's like they don't flinch. Yeah. He was ready for it. They, Suzanne even like had an answer when he did the background check and found out she had money. That's what's so baffling now. It's like, okay, yeah, that was still questionable, but she made it work. Yeah. When Erica heard that they were talking about moving to South America, they had a backup plan. Yep. Which blows my mind. Cause like she is truly a wild card. I mean, when they're at the airport and she's, so upset because they didn't let her say goodbye to Dylan and like she says she has to pee and they don't even want her to pee because now it's one of those things where it's like they're so close to getting away with it they're almost done with this scam and then Kevin actually starts freaking out and then Suzanne has to be the one to talk him down and be like no we planned this we've thought about this we've you know run this scam for eight for the last eight months I'm not gonna let it fall apart right now she doesn't know a thing referring to erica meanwhile erica figures out something like she doesn't know what's going on but she's like they're taking me to south america and so she goes to the bathroom writes a note on her little blues clues notebook and her (laughs) handy dandy notebook and just says on one side of it deliver to dylan mckay and at first i was like but it doesn't say anything it just says deliver to (laughs) dylan mckay (laughs) But it's yeah. clear there's something on the backside of that note. No, and I'm I'm so mad they did this to us because, yeah, she, like, leaves the stall. She had tried to stick it up with gum, and then the gum, you know, doesn't connect, and so it falls to the floor. And then, like, even later, there's a knock on Dylan's door, but it's a misdirect because it's not someone who found this note. And all I could think of, like, you know, Suzanne insists on coming, is, like, standing outside the door. And she's, like, 10 or 11 at this point, like, this this isn't normal behavior mm-hmm. and I feel like if Erica did get her to leave the bathroom and everything like she would have found someone that worked at the airport and like handed her a note and been like I need you to call this person and tell them this well that's the thing yeah it's like if she got Suzanne to leave the bathroom there had to have been another person in that bathroom that she could have given it to yeah but she also probably was just freaked out and like I need to just get out of here like do this as fast as possible and then bounce but man yeah so we assume they're going to South America and Dylan is none the wiser yeah and like you know that's totally on purpose that like she wrote a note that fell to the floor and we have no idea what happened to it it's totally on purpose to make it this cliffhanger and like they've literally told no one that they are doing this because it's a scam why would you because the next thing we see in this storyline is Dylan's at home and Nat's called and is like Suzanne's a no-show she's not picking up her phone I don't know what's happening. And like Dylan's like, I'm sure something just happened. Like, look, I got to go. Like he doesn't even question it. He's like, no, no, no. It's totally fine. Whatever. And that's when Brent and that's when Brenda shows up. Right. Like after that scene, 
That's a wrap on Dylan McKay for season four. And we don't know, again, what's going to happen with his little storyline. Will he have his money? Will he not have his money? I am so nervous that he signed for a new joint account with Kevin and put all the money in it and it's all gone. I'm so scared. Yeah. Like, yeah, same. Yeah, because Jim said, like, starting tomorrow, you can go to any bank and just, like, sign it all away. And, like, yeah, literally, like, he could have gone to a different bank than where Jim is holding his money, transferred all of it into a joint account with Kevin, and then didn't question anything, which, like, leaves so many questions to me as, like, a money person of, like, if you open a joint account and then someone immediately comes back into the bank and is, like, actually, I'm going to take all of that money out of the joint account and move it to a different account, like, You'd think the bank people would be like, I'm really questioning your motives here. And I feel like I should call the other owner of this account before I let you take the money. You would think, but I don't think it works like that. And like, I don't think any of it works like that. (laughs) But maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Truly, I have no idea. Like, John and I have a joint bank account, but like, yeah, (laughs) no one has ever contacted me to be like, uh, excuse me, ma'am, like $500 moved out of your account. Like that would never have happened. No, you're right. I mean, 500 is not 5 million, but still. True. Oh, our boy, our boy Dylan's about to be drained. I'm so nervous and he knows nothing and he's making out with Brenda and like, I'm going to go ahead and make a wild assumption that they sleep together before she leaves for London. Yeah. I like that thought. I mean, like it as in, like, I agree with you, not that I necessarily want it to happen. Right. Like, I don't really want it to happen, but, like, I think it's happening. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's that's, that's a wrap on Dylan. That is presumably a series wrap on Erica, Suzanne, and Kevin. Presumably. And, like, did they actually get married? Were they already married and just faked a wedding? Like, we didn't see the wedding, so, like, I'm kind of nervous about that, too. I wouldn't be surprised if Suzanne scammed Kevin to marry him or marry her so that then she can take the money from him. I I kind of truly get the feeling that they're actually in it together and they just like, they legitimately plan this of like, we're not going to see each other for five months because I have to build up and then we have to meet. Right. That's a good But then point. how would Erica not know him? True. Or maybe she she met him or arranged it when she went back and Erica just stayed with Dylan that time. I don't know. I mean, it's open. Like, they have left the door open for Dylan to find out what happened and, like, be able to get in touch with Erica again. So I, I hope at some point we get more answers. But, I mean, who knows? We might never get answers. True. This could be a lost situation. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And... Yeah, I mean that's that's it for Dylan, which leaves our our one last best buddy Steve. The keg contribution to the carnival is fighting with gladiators with giant Q-tips over a mud pit. John Sears appears out of nowhere and knocks Steve in that mud. Later, Steve runs into Celeste. She's been doing good, seeing this new guy for a couple weeks. A new, tall, nice, hot guy. Oh god, it's John Sears. Later, Steve has a turn in the dunk tank, and Celeste and John just put him in the water over and over again. 
When Celeste has had enough, Steve tells Celeste John is a sleazeball and John dunks him just one more time. John continues to harass Steve until Steve is fed up. They make a bet over mud pit gladiator fighting. If Steve wins, John has to fall in the mud and stay away from Celeste. If John wins, Steve has to fall in the mud and quit fraternity. Meanwhile, Celeste is over John's thirst for Steve's tears and goes off to do other carnival stuff. She runs into Donna and Brenda, who tell her what a dick John is. They then make their way back to the mud pit where Steve and John have been fighting for ten minutes. Celeste, Brenda, and Donna call John's name and show him their bras. While he's distracted, Steve bonks him with his giant Q-tip and knocks him in the mud. And Celeste gives Steve a cute little smile. I about lost my mind when John Sears showed up on my screen. It was like we were so hashtag blessed to see Celeste. Oh, blessed by Celeste. Like, wonderful. And then immediately, like, 180 when John Sears appeared. Oh, John Sears appears. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Look at that. We've, like, finally hit the group of podcasting. <laughs> yeah. We're just rhyming out of nowhere. Wow. But yeah, like, it was just wild. Like, yeah, John Sears shows up. He, like, you know, challenges Steve to this thing where he very clearly, you know, is more capable of him. And then proceeds to just follow him around the carnival for the rest of the episode, just tormenting him. And, like, Celeste is like, oh, my God, he's so cute, and he's tall, and he's really hot, and oh, my God, and da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, you see what he's doing. He is tormenting your ex-boyfriend. And, like, you're just letting him stand here, hold up a line at the dunk tank so that you can repeatedly knock him into the water. I just hate how they basically took this wonderful, self-aware, intelligent, um, driven, wonderful human being in Celeste and relegated her to this, like, ditzy, but he's so cute kind of girl. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I completely agree. I was like, this is as, as happy as I am to see Celeste. And, like, oh, when she, like, had this idea to help Steve and, like, gave him that, like, I'm, you know – knowing look whatever at the end of it I was so happy but yeah they just turn her into like an object to use to bring John Sears back into this for this like wild series of events yep and like I gotta be honest Steve deserved to be dunked in the tank repeatedly but not by John Sears and Celeste would have picked up on this and not just been like oh my god yeah he's so great and like I also have a comment about how after Steve first finds out that she's dating John Sears and tells Kelly and Kelly's just like, she's going to do what she's going to do. Yeah, because that's not on brand for Kelly. Kelly is yeah. very much like, oh, that's not right. And like, oh, he's this. a scumbag. And like, I don't want to let anybody be taken advantage of. Right. And like, that's because she was almost sexually assaulted or kind of was sexually assaulted by John Sears. So it's like, it would have, uh, I don't know who it would have landed better saying it, but it, yeah, it just didn't make sense for Kelly to say that. No. And I, I appreciate that, you know, 
I guess having that conversation with Kelly is the reason that Steve doesn't say anything to Celeste because I did like it couldn't have come from him. I do appreciate that it came from Brenda and Donna because like girls got to look out for girls. Sure. But like, yeah, Kelly should have also been like, no, she shouldn't be with him. Exactly. And I was also really not into the idea of Steve like fighting for her honor. That was what I was afraid it was going for, was that it was just a bro competition over a girl, which I'm never a fan of. Yeah. Um, Which it didn't really end up being that. It just was really more Celeste realizing, like, oh, wait, this guy I'm dating seems to be super fixated on the guy I used to date. Why? And then she ended up being like, okay, let me just, like, end this. Well, and... That was another thing. They came back to the carnival multiple days in a row so that John Sears could torment Steve. They clearly had nothing better to do, or at least John didn't. It doesn't surprise me that John has nothing better to do. Right. And, like, none of the guys, like, at the fraternity, I think, like, one person is, like, Sears lay off of it or something. I think it might have been months. Um, But, like, yeah, they let him do stuff even steve being like hey his money's so good here they should have been like no actually his isn't right because that's the thing is like if somebody's monopolizing a certain event it's like nobody's gonna want to do this like people are just gonna get sick of it and then leave so you might as well get the dude out of the way so that people who actually want to do this can do it yeah, I mean, this definitely feels like another time that they were like, we don't really know what to do with Steve, so 100%. we're going to have this really weird story that, like, it's very encapsulated in this episode where it's over and done with easily, and, like, we're probably not going to see Celeste again. We're almost definitely not going to see John Sears again, and Steve ends up in the exact same place he started. Yeah, and I think you're right. He almost, in this episode, served to be, like, a nice segue. Steve the segue. Because he brought you back to the carnival. He let you keep going with the carnival. And then he took you out of the carnival because he sometimes went to the hospital. So he was just going around just connecting all the stories together. Yeah, which is fine. If that's what he does and him talking to Jesse and him talking to Kelly and, you know, whatever. Like, that's fine. But it's another one of those times where it's really boring. Then they realize they have nothing to do with Steve. And so this is what we get. Exactly. And, yeah, I mean, Donna and Brenda are, like, actually good girlfriends and tell Celeste what's up. And then Celeste is like, all right, I'm putting an end to this. Let's flash our bras. And it works. And Steve knocks him into the mud. And hooray. And that's it. That's it. Like, Steve had zero growth in this entire season. (laughs) And we're talking about, like, all of these amazing things that are happening to the other characters. Maybe next season? Maybe season five's the charm? I'll believe it when I see it. I know. I can't, I'm not going to hold my breath on that. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's it, right? Like, we did it. Season four. That's what I'm saying. It was like, it's weird that this was the end. It didn't, in some ways, it felt like the end of a season. In other ways, it was like, all right, what's happening next episode? You know, like, because some things tied up really nicely and other things like was a cliffhanger and you almost needed another episode to wrap it all up, which is even crazier because this was a double episode. 
Yeah, I think this is probably one of those seasons where they knew they were already renewed for the next season so they could do this, and so they did. That's a good point. That's a good point. Because, yeah, I mean, like, even looking back, you know, I appreciated exactly how much stuff happened in this episode, but, like, yeah, I don't really have a good quote of the week even. Like, so much happened, and I'm not sitting here being like, this is definitely it. Um, I do have one. I just have to find it. I wrote some down. They're um, stupid, though. <laughs> yeah, you go first. I, I have to go back and see if I even have quotes. Okay, so I wrote down two. Um, and one was, like, actually a duo. So it's, like, a little bit of a conversation. Um, Kelly says, I got him to square dance. And Andrea says, that's farther than I ever got. <laughs> <laughs> so that made me laugh. I thought that was funny. And then um, I also wrote down Jim being like, you know, Bill Clinton once shook hands with President Kennedy. Maybe it's an omen. And Brandon just had the same quippy response that I wrote down because, like, I paused it to, like, write something. And then Brandon (laughs) said, like, literally what I wrote. But I was just like, Jim, do you know how many people the president fucking shakes hands with? Stop. (laughs) That's hilarious. That was a really good one. Um yeah, that's hilarious. Because it's so true. Like, Jim's, like, so enamored with the fact that Brandon's just going to be in the vicinity of the president and can't contain himself. Um, but no, actually. My quote of the week was by Brandon. And when he was in the elevator with Lucinda, and Lucinda was like, you know, I've seen, they've done studies about <laughs> people in elevators. Some people look at the numbers to avoid making contact with other people. And Brandon's like, oh, really? Because when I look at the numbers, I'm trying to see what floor I'm on. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I almost guessed when he says, I didn't wear a tux. I wore a dark suit. <laughs> yeah. It was just fluster Brandon that just absolutely made me giggle this episode. I, I got to be honest. I do love a flustered Brandon. It's just so different than any other kind of Brandon. And I mean, I'm sure we're going to get even more flustered Brandon next season because he's got to come back from DC with Kelly and they have to like define the relationship with everybody else. Yep. And that's a great uh, segue into what the next episode is called, which we have hit season five, episode one. Back to the, we're back to the beginning. (laughs) It's like, we just got to 31. Now we're back to one. Um, But it's called What I Did on My Summer Vacation and Other Stories. I guess next week we'll have a brand new season to talk about. And until then, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Back2Podcast. You can also send us an email. Tell us maybe, I don't know, what your quote of the season was. I know I didn't give one, but I'm really interested to know what quotes you liked, if you liked any, or um, just kind of your overall likes and dislikes from the season. That'd be great to know. Um, And you can do that at backtopodcast at gmail.com. That's B-A-C-K-T-O podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to go into your podcast app and rate, review, subscribe, share, like, you know, hit all the buttons. Um, if you leave us a review, you know, five stars is our preferred, but obviously we want you to be honest. Uh, but if you leave a review, we'll give you a shout out on the podcast. We really appreciate those. Yeah, send those our way and uh, let let us know what you want to see for next season. Because, um, you know, like we're going to keep this train rolling. So we want to make sure that we're giving you the content that you want. 
Yeah. And so from all of us at Back to Podcast, I'm an Ariel that doesn't suck. <laughs> I'm a note stuck to a bathroom door that then fell on the floor. I am a list of all of the creative places Lulu and Brandon have banged. <laughs> Bye. Bye. See ya.